Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show. I'm Raji Sohal, filling in for Mike today this Thursday, October 6th. And you know what that means. Thursday, October 6th means today the credit card companies, that surcharge that they give you for every transaction that the retailer normally takes care of, well, starting today... You could be paying for it, my friends. Here to talk to us more about it is retail analyst Bruce Winder. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, Bruce, let's talk about the history and kind of the the reason for the interchange fee in the first place. Because it's always been there, right? It has. It's always, at least from what I remember, it's always been there. And it's sort of been a service charge that the, uh, the big credit card companies and the financial institutions charge. And I read somewhere that they use it for their loyalty programs and whatnot, but um, uh, there was uh, a discussion here, and I guess uh, there's been an an award or a change in the law where now, to your point, retailers can, businesses can start charging that to consumers uh, for the first time. I mean, realistically, the fee's been around for a while, but it's just been kind of built into the prices you pay at, at retail or in business, but now it might become visible and added on in some cases. Okay, and how much are we talking about here? I think the average is like 1.5%. I think it varies between 1% and 3%. So it's not a lot of money, um, but some businesses are cautious because in this inflationary environment, you know, it might look like they're nickel and diamond customers. Oh, yeah, for sure. How are you hearing that businesses are feeling about the change? Well, what I'm hearing, there was a survey done by someone recently, and it said about, you know, 20% of businesses are looking to do, I guess I should caveat that and say, I think in the B2B sector, you're going to have a business to business, you're going to have a fairly a larger uh, application of it. In the consumer facing sector, like restaurants, retailers, a little, a little less. I've heard overall about 20% of companies are doing it, about 40% are, I'm not sure yet, you know, and another, say, 20 some odd percent are, well, I will if the competition does. Right, so, yeah. So uh, it's going to kind of be all over the board here as we, as we get this thing rolling. Yeah, we know TELUS is going to do it. But if a business chooses to charge the customer the fee, I understand that now they're required by law to put up a sign stating that very clearly, or it has to be on the receipt. But then, you know, customers are, they're feeling gouged right now already, not to mention that we already are aware of, obviously, of the sales taxes that we're paying. So how do you expect folks to react? Yeah, I think it's a great point. And and, and folks are feeling gouged right now. It's going to vary if it's a business. You know, you might be able to get away with it, business-to-business relationship. But business-to-consumer, you know, B2C, consumer-facing, I could see a lot of consumers getting a little angry with that. They might not say anything, but inside they're going to think, great, you know, thanks for nickel and diming me. I've been supporting you through the pandemic, and here you are pushing this to me. So there's going to be some negative sentiment. And depending on how competitive the industry is, you might see people jumping to people who don't do it because they feel they're being gouged less. Oh, that's so, an interesting uh, point. There's all kinds of negative, negative and positive, mostly negative reactions here. Okay, and do you think it could drive people to start paying with debit again or maybe cash? Oh, yeah, I do. I think some people, you know, out of spite are going to say, huh, I'm not paying this. I've got enough. I'm going to use cash or I'm going to use debit. I'm not going to give those fees away. So, yeah, there's going to see, you're going to see an uptick in those, in those methods of payment for sure. And then, Bruce, research from Bank of Canada shows consumers have already long been paying extra because of the credit card option. So retailers included a bump in the price already to reflect that most people are going to pay by credit. So how will that be accounted for? Will the prices go down by 1% to 3%? No, I don't think so. I don't think you'll see any deflation there realistically. 
Um, I think people are just going to, you know, retailers will say, look, I just, the ones who charge it to the consumer are just going to say, hey, look, you know what, my costs have went up way more than my retail, so I'm not even including, you know, the extra I've paid for labor, for transportation. So I don't think you'll see prices go down by any means anywhere. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely it's going to create some interesting dialogue. Oh, yeah. And what about these point cards, the the air miles, the cashback cards? Because traditionally, those are kind of the reason that so many people choose to pay by credit card in the first place. Yeah, and I have a bit of a, I don't have a great opinion of a lot of those uh, those programs. I think that they're nominal at best and uh, in terms of what you get out of it. And really what's happening is the big companies are just getting your data. They're using this to get your data so that they can run, you know, reports and take a look at how to sell you more. So I'm not a big fan of these programs in the first place, um, but certainly they're going to hit be hit a little bit more even now as people revert debit. That's really interesting. And then when you hear from smaller retail types, like your convenience stores or your smaller independent companies, what are you hearing there? Are they more likely to put this charge on the customers because, you know, they're needing relief too in these economic times? Yeah, I haven't seen any specific on that, but, you know, it's probably going to be hit or miss. There's some folks who own small businesses who are literally, you know, just barely alive in terms of profit. So, they may have to push it forward and just apologize to people. And some people might accept that. You know, they realize that this is a small company. It's not a big chain and that they need relief. But, you know, if you see the big chain starting to push it on, then you'll start to see more complaints, I think, and people will be less forgiving. Yeah. When you talk about those larger retails, the retailers like the billion dollar companies, right? Exactly. It, one yeah. thinks one didn't expect that necessarily a service provider like Telus was going to put this on the customer and, and shouldn't the they just continue at this point to absorb that cost if it's only one to 3%. And I know obviously it's about at the end of the day, it's about the bottom line, but you look around, people can't afford gas. They're cutting meals. Some people have stopped shopping. Retail in the province is down, Bruce, I think by a couple of percentage points at least. So what I wonder then, Bruce, is, is this really even the time to ding customers this surcharge? I don't think so, but you know what? Um, Canada is the land of oligopolies, which means uh, if you look at a number of our sectors within our country, um, it's it's dominated by a handful of very large companies, and telecommunications is no different, right? You've got Telus, you've got Bell and Rogers, so they have the market power to kind of do whatever they want. You know, most customers will not charge or not leave them because of this, and you might even see the other two probably added as well. So, you know, you look at grocery, you look at telco, you look at a few other industries. Because we're a small country, we're, we're basically run by a handful of, of, of big companies. And they have the market power to kind of do whatever they want. Yeah, without the competition. That's an interesting way of putting it. Uh, Bruce, thank you so much for that. Yeah, take care. Have a good one. All right, let's talk education. All the data seems to show that kids benefit from play, actual playing, and even exercise. Outdoors, even better. Then why do we practically strap them to desks and make them do schoolwork from the age of five and up all day, every day? Well, Cortez Island Community and School District 72 out there are doing something different. 
They're going to pilot a half year of public high school programming shaped by students' interests and their surrounding environment. Here to talk about it with us is Jeffrey Lonteo. He's a teacher on Cortez Island and a School District 72 representative. Welcome to the program, Jeffrey. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for taking... um an interest in our program. Well, it's so interesting, Jeffrey. So, so how did this project even come about? Well, uh, actually, approximately about a year ago, um, our superintendent came up to me and said, uh, gave me a challenge of really starting up a, a secondary um, school programming um, on Cortez because um, what we found was that uh, the community really was, was craving for something um, for their teenagers, number one. But number two, um, families started leaving the island because they were foreseeing the future of of uh, not having any secondary school programming for their students here on the island. Um, most of the students um, on the island, um, t- teenage years, um, go to the nearby or the closest um, secondary school, which is in Campbell River, which is two ferries away. And oftentimes they they will do a homestay there and it would cost the families um more than a thousand dollars a month oh, just wow. to house and and to help educate and fund their their kids in their education. So that that proves a strain for a lot of the families, um, as well as you know not having um, teenagers here on the island. So the remaining teenagers are are just craving for interaction, um, and that's number one the social interaction. But um, and really the community just needs um, education here for their teenagers. Um, and that's that, that was our challenge. So we we listened to the community, um, the school district listened to the community, and we came up with this program. Um, and in partnership with um, a lady named Amanda Ofakulesti, um, who is really the the spearhead and and the spark uh, in this uh, program, uh, the creation of the program. And you know the DFO gave us a grant to help with operating costs. The Cortez Island Foundation. Um, and just community funders in general, they were so supportive um, in, in just helping this program just start. Um, they were so excited, and, and I cannot believe, as I'm very new to the island, um, and I commute every week. So uh, every everywhere I go, they're so thankful, and they're smiling um, when they find out that I'm the teacher of the Cortez Island Academy. And, and again, they're they're very thankful. Yeah, so, uh, so let's, we couldn't have done it without without community, uh, the Cortez Island community for sure. Yeah, and let's talk about what this kind of schooling actually looks like. So, can you break it down for us? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really a each module. We have four modules in in this one semester. So each module is five weeks long, and uh, so each module really is uh, comprised of outdoor adventure and leadership. And that and we're, today is actually the last day of of um, that module um, and, and that module we, we study um, anything from adventure tourism to leadership um, to trip planning to safety and wild, wildlife interaction um, we've done uh, two three day two night um, adventures um, with the students um, we've done many day hikes um, really it's, it's education without walls school without walls is, is our mantra and we were using the beauty and the the education of what Cortez Island and the ocean 
um, the national environment has to offer our, our students. Okay, so Jeffrey. Really taking, taking advantage of that. Yeah. So you've talked there about adventuring, being outside. What about math mm-hmm. and science? Math and science. Math, math is, 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 again, one of our challenges. So we're, because we have four modules, the first module, again, is outdoor adventure and leadership. Um, the second module is our oceans and aquaculture as stewardship. And so that gives the students their science credit. Um, the third one is where we're, we gave it a creative um, title called Creative Tools for Truth-Telling. And it really is um, an expressive um, module where students, we get to hear students' voice and we give them their English credit with that. Um, and the last module is the filmmaking. Um, and we're, we're partnering with an organization called Real Youth and they, they, um, they get their media studies credit. However, it is, again, a continuation of, of hearing their voice and to see what uh, we're using filmmaking as a tool to get their expression out. So, yeah. Um, so I know this is for high school, but we also know that the senior years are meant to be also those years, you know, where you prepare kids for the quote unquote real world. And for some, that's uh, going to mean going to post-secondary Will those kids be at a loss because if they've been going to this alternative school, spending their time outdoors, uh, how are they going to fare in university or college? Uh, you know what? We don't know that yet because certainly it's, it's only the first, uh, the, really the first month of the program. Sure. But from, from, what, from what I know, I've, I've been teaching for 30 years, and from, from what I know, yes, you, um, you have your, the rigors of the classroom, um, but certainly research has shown that the rigors of learning relevant, very relevant education, uh, number one. And number two, when a student is in the right place, and the right place meaning if they're engaged in what they're doing, learning is a lot greater than in the classroom. I, I must say that. So whether they're engaged in the classroom, yes, learning, learn, real learning occurs. But when they're engaged in the outside environment, in, their, in, in the environment that they thrive in, yeah. Um, and, and some of our kids are, are not thriving in, in the traditional classroom. Um, so they're really thriving in, in what we're, we're offering so far. Yeah. Jeffrey, I really hope you'll come back and speak with us about this program after, say, five months and let us know how it's going. Oh, for sure. Thanks for sure. again. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Hey there, I'm Raji Sohal in for Mike Smith today, and I am just a little bit too hungry to be having this next conversation because it's about food. And if you know me, you know I love food and I love cooking and I love hosting. We're so lucky to have our next guest on to share all her tips and tricks from cooking the bird to whatever else we should be serving alongside it. She's the founder and president of the Gourmet Warehouse, Karen McSherry. Hi, Karen. Hi, how are you today? I'm great. And just talking about this with you today has got me thinking, oh, what else do I need to think about for Thanksgiving dinner? So I wonder what day do you celebrate it at your house? I... To be honest, I'm I'm open the whole weekend. My life has to evolve around my adult children who dictate to me what day I'm cooking. 
<laughs> your, your adult children, really? Because my four and six year old, they dictate to me what I'm cooking. <laughs> yeah, I think they dictate forever. Oh, Once no. they're yours, they dictate everything. So oh, it's no. whatever day they both can come together to say, yep, that's the day we want. So this year it's Monday. Okay, it's Monday. And I'm so curious. We've got tons of questions for you, but I, I do want to know what you are planning at your table. What are you going to be cooking? Okay, so I'm quite fastidious about setting a nice table to make everything very festive. So I got little white pumpkins, for, and I'm going to use those tiny little mini pumpkins as the name placeholders. So everybody's going to get their name with a white pumpkin on it. And then I do a wet brine for my turkey. Um, I love the brine turkey because I think it just changes the whole flavor of the turkey. You just don't want to take it out of the package or bring it home from the store and then just boom in the in the oven. No, you, brining will change the way you feel about a turkey. And then I do massive sides all the time using, of course, all the BC fresh vegetables because that's super important that we stick to that. Um, sometimes mashed potatoes, sometimes the gratana potatoes, a good gravy, lots of veggies. I'm going to do a cauliflower. Um, my mother used to do cauliflower cheese sauce, and so I can never not do that. It's so old school basic, but it, everybody loves it. Cranberry sauce with pecans and a bit of bourbon in it. Um, it just goes on and on and on. I have like so many things. Stuffing. I always have to do the stuffing because that's what people want the most. Um, roasted chestnuts. If I could find any, I would do roasted chestnuts as well. Wow. Okay. I'm trying to take mental note of all of this for myself. Now, one thing you did mention there was cauliflower with cheese sauce. What do you What do you do there? So it basically just steam your collie, break it into florets, yeah. and make a cheese sauce. So basic cheese sauce would be making a roux. Um, for our listeners that don't know what a roux is, it's just a fancy name for equal parts of butter and flour together. So you cook the um, you put the the roux in the pan, melt the butter, let that flour paste sort of cook out a little bit. You want to get rid of the raw taste of the flour. And then you would add um, chicken stock to that or water. It doesn't matter. Milk, generally, I use milk all the most of the time. And then just heaps of Gruyere and cheddar cheese together. A little bit of Dijon mustard in there to give it a oh, little yeah. bit of a ting. And that's it. Your cheese sauce can be made two days ahead even and put in the fridge. That sounds so nice. What I'm going to do for my cauliflower is uh, cut them into their little florets. I'm going to put them on a pan, drizzle it with olive oil, a little bit of salt, and balsamic vinegar and honey, and Mm -hmm. then just a tiny bit of Parmesan at the end. That's delicious, too. Super delicious. I only do this cauliflower cheese when at at Christmas and at Thanksgiving. I never would do it any other time because it's sort of that old school way. I like my cauliflower. We did it. We done a um a big campaign with you with chorus um with bc fresh and we did um my favorite cauliflower recipe is cutting them into steaks not breaking the core apart and then pan frying them (gasps) wow i love that and then you put and then you sprinkle capers in the pan and um lemon halves and then you flip the steaks over completely browned and then the the lemon caramelizes as it's 
heating in the pan, turning it sweet, not sour. And you squeeze that caramelized lemon all over with the capers and boom, it's it's delish too. That and it's sounds easy, one so pan. nice. It sounds amazing. But you're right. It doesn't sound very Thanksgiving-y though. So no. mm-hmm. um, do you like no. that word I just made up, Thanksgiving-y? Yeah. Um, but, but Karen, I wonder how much you think about that when you're cooking for Thanksgiving. Do you go like, oh, this is a delicious dish. I know it's going to be a showstopper, but it's not very suitable for you know this one time this annual meal that we have at thanksgiving i know it's always tradition you have all the other days of the year to do all the fancy sort of gourmet-ish and i think if you try to do all these different things the traditions slip away and that's why this cauliflower cheese the mashed potatoes the you know the rutabaga with the crispy shallots i'll do that there's so many things that it's just the same thing so you're not really you know focusing on other stuff and then you know sometimes um the baby peas with little pearl onions are nice too mm-hmm. so um maybe we should talk a little bit about brining the turkey absolutely because people like to know about those kind of things absolutely and, and there's if you have a and and i know that people that live in condos not a big space they don't have a big refrigerator how do they brine a turkey you need this massive Ziploc bag called the turkey brining bag. But if you don't do that, you can also do a dry brine, which is just rubbing salt and aromatics, not wet aromatics, dry all over the bird and let it sit uncovered in your fridge for two days. And that produces a super, super crisp skin. And the salt um, is absorbed into the turkey, which then breaks the proteins down and, and tenderizes that bird a bit. And you get the super crunchy skin and it's delicious. And you don't have that big, you know, cooler full of um, a turkey and trying to keep it cold for 24 hours. Yeah, because that's a challenge. And you mentioned there for people with small spaces, how do you do that? That is. And so, and and, and you know what? You can get a small turkey, um, you know, if you only are doing it for four people. You could also just do a breast of turkey and you could open it up, sort of flatten it out, have your butcher sort of butterfly it open for you so that you can then stuff it and roll it up. So there's another option if you're just two people, but you still want to celebrate Thanksgiving, but a whole turkey is just, you know, it's just way too much for you to handle. Oh, that's such a nice idea. Now, another essential that you have to absolutely do it uh, every Thanksgiving is good gravy. It's got to be an exceptional gravy. So how do we do that? So you're you're going to lift your bird out of the roasting pan and you're going to cover it with a towel because it likes to be kept warm and you have to let it sit for at least 20 to 30 minutes before carving so that the juices don't run right out because you want those juices to be set in the turkey, which gives them moist, nice and moist. If you cut it the minute you take it out of the oven, boom, the juices just run and you can't stuff them back in. So that's why you have to rest the bird. And then you've got the pan on the um, stove and then you're going to sprinkle in, you know, depending on how much gravy you want, but a a, a good half a cup of flour, just all-purpose flour. And you're going to whisk that flour into the fat of of the juices because you want all those brown bits that the turkey left behind and you're going to let that cook because again you have to cook the flour out if you don't cook the flour out it will be pasty tasting and you want it to have the roasted flavor of that the juices so then with that 
You want it to also remember to save your potato water. So if you're doing mashed potatoes, don't throw the potato water away. You must keep it so that you can use that water for the um, gravy. And then little, and if you don't, and you're not doing mashed potatoes, chicken stock is just fine or vegetable stock, whatever you have. um, And you're going to slowly whisk in the stock a little at a time, a little at a time until that comes together. Do not pour the two cups of of liquid in at once or you'll just have a big bowl of lumps. And same thing with the potato water, you would just do it slowly? Yeah, same. The liquid has to be added slowly because you're whisking, whisking a little by little so that you can get this nice and smooth. And that's what you want. And then the best thing to add at the end is a, a good half a cup of Madeira. And that just changes your gravy up like crazy. And it's so good. Oh, that sounds lovely. How do you achieve like a really good depth to your gravy? You know, sometimes a gravy will be good, but the flavor is not very deep. How do you get a depth to the flavor? It's, 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 you ha- it's the pan juices that gives it that, that roasted, delicious, deep flavor. So you don't want to dilute it too much. You don't want to put more liquid in because the ratio of all those pan juices to what you're going to get out, you can thicken anything with flour. No problem. It's an easy thing. But if there's no flavor in the base of it, then you can't. Now, if you if you use chicken stock, you will get more flavor in it. You'll have a depth of flavor. Welcome back to the program. I'm Raji Sohal in for Mike Smith today. And we are talking to Karen McSherry. Yes, the very Karen McSherry, who is the founder and president of the Gourmet Warehouse, aka my favorite place to be in all of Vancouver. And we're talking about Thanksgiving. And Karen, I really enjoyed what you were saying there and took to heart what you're saying there about how to get that gravy uh, really delicious, really rich with flavor and you gave us the good tip of uh, not using too much flour. That was fantastic. And now I'm going to open up the phone lines just shortly to our listeners. It's 604-280-9898. You can ask Karen whatever is on your mind about what you're cooking this weekend for Thanksgiving dinner. 604-280-9898. And Karen, I wonder also about your sides. If you would elaborate on what else you're doing with your sides, it's pretty special. Okay, I'm not a big fan of rutabaga, but this is absolutely a delicious way to serve it because all the fall vegetables, of course, are out right now. So I would take rutabaga and a sweet potato and boil them until they're tender. And then you're going to either put it in a food processor to puree it or a ricer. But before you do that, you want to take about six large shallots and slice them really thin and then Um, shake them up with some flour so that it absorbs the moisture. And then you're going to toss that into a sieve and shake out all the excess flour. Drop that into a a fry pan with some grapeseed oil and fry those until they're crispy, crispy. And then you're going to mix the cream and you've got cream and butter. These recipes are all on my website so people can go and access them for free. Um, Take the rutabaga and the um, potato, sweet potato, and then you're going to add some heavy cream, some butter, and mix that together. So now you've got kind of like a mash. But then to make it, that's not going to taste very good because really nobody wants to wake up in the morning and go, oh, goody, I'm going to have turnips today. I mean, I would, but... (laughs) Would you? I never would. Yes, after your description, yes, I would. (laughs) Delicious. And then you fold in that those... the all those crisped 
takes a lot yes. and it just takes it to a different level. Okay. I'm sold. Dish. I am sold. Did you mention garlic in there or no? No garlic in there because garlic, potatoes and garlic don't work that well. You'd have to, you know, you'd have to poach the garlic so it wouldn't be really in your face. So the, the, point of it is is that the shallots bring out the brightness of the of the flavor they really give it that sort of salty kind of smoky flavor okay well i'm i'm sold and i'm going to check out the website for the recipe on that one we're going to go to tanya in surrey and get her question hello tanya hi how are you fantastic do you have a question for karen I do. I'm wondering what other options there are besides soup after Thanksgiving for the all the bones and leftovers. Okay, well, bones, there's not a lot else you can do except make a stock, which is really valuable because it's roasted so long in the oven that you're going to get the most incredible stock out of those turkey bones. They're gold. So the the bits of all the turkey that's left over, um, you could do like a, a, a casserole easily. I mean, everybody dies for the sandwich the next day because that's always delicious. So but now true. you've still got, now you, you can only eat so many turkey sandwiches. So <laughs> you don't, you don't want to have them till the following week. That's not good. So I would cube up the turkey and I would, um, make a, like a casserole. You could do like make, instead of a chicken pot pie, do a turkey pot pie. I like and, that. And that's delicious. Yeah. So you, you, you blanch peas and carrots and you make, again, that roux. So you're making that beautiful roux um, and you're going to add cheese into it. And then you're going to put your cubed cooked turkey in, your peas, your carrots, um, and anything else. Like you're going to put some tarragon in there. And again, recipe online you can go to it and it's say chicken pot pie just sub in your turkey meat and it is delicious and then what you can do is make them individual if your family is two or three or four or five people do it in portions of that so that you know in a month from now you're you don't want turkey right away freeze that pot pie and bring it out when you need it for dinner one night and there's a no fuss meal all done for you Such a great idea. Okay, we're going to take another question from Dan in Burnaby. Hi, Dan. What's your Thanksgiving question for Karen? Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Karen, I'm doing a a turkey on my smoker uh, Mm -hmm. for for Monday. And my question is about uh, brining. Uh, I wet brine um, 12 hours, 24 hours, whatever it is. At Christmas time, it was easy. It was cold. I, I stuck it in a pot, put a weight on it, put it on my shed. But it's so big to get a wet brine. Where, where do you, how do you do a wet brine in the, like, and not take up 90% of your fridge? Okay, so what you're going to do is you, need, you, you get the brining bag. Um, you do your brine. If, if you know, We might want to talk about how to make that brine after I answer your question. But what I do is because you need your fridge space because you've got all the other things that you want to do. So you, you need a, a, a camp cooler, like a, you know, a Coleman cooler that you, know, you take when you go camping or you take to the beach for all your, your drinks and stuff. And you put the turkey in there and then you put all the ice, just ice cubes all the way around or the ice packs. And you just keep making sure that it's kept cold. So if you've got those ice packs and then you just rotate them as soon as they're not cold, you know, transfer them to the freezer. By the time the other one's not cold, you just keep doing that and just keep adding ice cubes to around the turkey in the cooler. 
That's such a great tip. And I actually know someone who has done it that way before and they were nervous that they would be able to keep the bird cold long enough. But yeah. Oh no. Maintain the the cooler maintains that. The ice cubes don't melt. It's not like you're sitting it in, you know, in the middle of your kitchen. He's right because I, that's what I do. I just put it outside on my deck in the winter, but it's not cold enough right now. So camp cooler and you're off. It works. Hey there, I'm Raji Sohal in for Mike Smith and we're taking your calls on Thanksgiving dinner. What are you cooking? Do you have any questions about it? Call us 604-280-9898. My guest is Karen McSherry. She's the founder and president of the Gourmet Warehouse. And Karen McSherry is taking your calls and your questions on what to cook and how to cook it for your Thanksgiving dinner this weekend. The number to call is 604-280-9898. Now, Karen, I know we're going to talk about how to make Brian, but first I am going to take a call. We've got Mike on the line. Hello, Mike. Oh, we just lost him. So we will get to talk about Brian. Karen, <laughs> how do you okay. make Brian? So it's pretty easy. You just basically what you do need most of most importantly is kosher salt. And it's 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 inexpensive. It's called Diamond Crystal Kosher Salt or any kosher salt brand. I, I like Diamond Crystal, but kosher salt. So you ate about eight liters of water, one and a half cups of kosher salt and one and a half cups of brown sugar sugar. and what you're going to do is that's your basic brine and that's for about a you know a 12 to 18 pound turkey Um, and then you're going to add all the aromatics that you can think of or want so I'm going to give you some examples of aromatics garlic bay leaf orange peel peppercorns rosemary sprigs sage leaves, um, an onion quartered up, star anise, cloves. You know, you can go on and on. Um, Garlic. Did I say garlic? No, I didn't. But garlic would be thrown in there too. And so what you're going to do is you're going to boil the water um, with the sugar and the salt. And what you want to do is you want to dissolve that salt and sugar. It has to be completely dissolved. So Instead of using all the water, you would want to dissolve it in half the water because then you have to chill that brining liquid down again. You must tone it down to cool because you can't pour hot liquid over a raw bird, right? Yeah. So if you do it just half, it's great. And then I would then add the remainder of the cold water and then make sure that that brine liquid is cold and then you put the turkey in the bag you've washed your turkey off and taken out the 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 insides the giblet the heart the you know all the little bits and pieces the neck and you want to then pour this brining liquid over top of the turkey seal the bag and then you're going to place it like i do um in the camp cooler with ice cubes or ice packs to keep that turkey cold it has to be maintained cold like it, like a refrigerator because you're going to keep it in there for up to 24 hours no less than 12 hours and a maximum of 24 to 30 hours and then you're good and i turn it because the turkey isn't completely submerged so you want to turn it every few hours to make sure that that brining liquid is surrounding the entire turkey and then when you're ready to cook it you bring it out of the liquid you discard all of that business in the bag that you just want the turkey give the turkey a good rinse off 
pat it dry, put it into your roasting pan. You can either rub it with olive oil if you want, a little bit of butter if you want, and then you're going to let it sit for about a good hour at room temperature before you put it in the oven. You don't want to put it in ice cold because it, it takes too long for the center to cook. So you want it at room temperature when it goes in the oven, and boom. Okay, now, Karen, you did mention there... You said that uh, lots of aromatics will do. Is there any aromatic that you wouldn't suggest? Like, is there any maybe that's too strong? Is like tarragon mm-hmm. appropriate or? Tarragon would be great It's because you're not cooking it in it. It's just sitting in right. the brine. So you can use any aromatic. Be creative if there's a flavor that you like more, like thyme leaves, you know, whatever you've got. Bay leaves are an essential, but yeah, you, you definitely want aromatics in there. Peel is great. Lemon peel, orange peel, you know, like that. Okay, I love that. Now, I've gotten a lot of emails about stuffing. People want to know about how to make a good stuffing. And you mm-hmm. know what? This is going to be so controversial, but I don't get stuffing. It's the one aspect of Thanksgiving that I'm not over the moon about. You'd rather have potatoes? Yes. Okay. Always. <laughs> so stuffing you can use, you can do, I mean, there's a chorizo stuffing, a sausage stuffing, a fruit-based stuffing where you'd put, you know, dried apricots in or cranberries in or, or, or not fresh cranberries. They're too sour. You couldn't do that. It had to be the dried version of, you can put, Tons in, you can put walnuts in, you can put any of that, but you're going to start with 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 breadcrumbs. Dale is the best. Um, I just have them out. You tear them up into, actually put them in the food processor, and then just pulse them so that they're all the same size. You don't want fine crumb. You want chunks. So Im- imagine when you eat stuffing, it's not all. It's not a puree. It's chunky, right? It's broken up. I'd say that the pieces should be about the size of your fingernail so that there's texture to it. And from there, you're going to have chicken stock at the ready and you're going to saute up in a separate fry pan, a a big onion, um, a couple of stalks of celery for sure. And then you've got parsley, you've got thyme, and you're going to saute that in butter. And then you're going to add that in to the stuffing. So you've got the, the breadcrumbs, the sautéed celery with the onion, and you're going to mix that in with your hands. And then little by little, not a lot, just enough to make that stuffing moist. It, it, you don't want it so that it's soggy because when it goes into the bird, don't forget all the juices from the birds are flowing into the cavity. And so then that makes it wet. The last thing you want is a soaking wet stuffing. So you just want it wet enough or damp enough to hold it together. And then you could add sausage. You could add, um, like I said, dried fruits, nuts, you know, and be creative. Whatever you want to put in that stuffing would be great. If you add sausage or chorizo, you must cook it first. Do not put that in raw. Yes, yes. Okay, Okay. I don't think I've had stuffing with chorizo before. That sounds amazing. And some people, now you know that the bird will cook much faster with the stuffing cooked outside, but you will never get that good flavor of the the turkey juices going into the stuffing. So... That is the method. I like to wrap my stuffing into in cheesecloth, line the cavity with cheesecloth, and have a little pull at the end so that when you're ready to carve, you just tug on the cheesecloth and pull it out, and all the stuffing comes with it. And then you don't have to dig around burning your hands trying to get the stuffing out. 
Oh, okay. I like that. I've got an email from Tiffany in Mount Pleasant, and she's asking me about what you do to make the perfect mashed potato. Oh, okay. You want to use, um, I, I use Yukon Golds. Um, they're delicious, and you're going to boil them till they're not wet, but they're cooked through, and then you're going to rice them. So you're going to want to rice your potato, and, and then you're going to add butter and cream. Now, cream and potatoes are amazing, amazing. So that would make them so delicious. And then you just beat them, you know, put it, put it in, in, in a, a KitchenAid or a, a mixer, and then you beat that all together. And then you've got the most incredible um, potato, salt, pepper. Sometimes you could put, if you really want to be decadent, like a half a cup or a cup of sour cream in that, and you've got potatoes to die for. Okay, you didn't mention buttermilk. You could use buttermilk. Um, I, I use sour cream. Um, I use milk or buttermilk. You could use either or. Buttermilk, though, has a little bit of a twang to it. Yes, it you does. Know? So if you like that flavor, go ahead. I do. <laughs> okay, there you go. These have been phenomenal tips. Thank you so much, Karen. These have just been such great tips for us to take. And I especially like the one about, yeah, you can make turkey sandwiches, but also turkey pot pie. And then your Thanksgiving dinner is like this gift that keeps on giving, right? Yes, it does. It keeps giving. But, you know, you want to deal with that turkey as soon as possible. Don't let it sit there and go, I've got to do something with it. I've got to do something with it. You're responsible to get that that turkey dealt with so that it doesn't sit in the fridge so long that anything gets wasted. Because don't forget, it's a protein and it will not last forever. So you've so got true. a two-day window to get that all wrapped up. So your job of Thanksgiving dinner is really never done. No, it's never done. Thanks so much, Karen. Thank you. Nice to speak with you all.